Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I have interviewed a number of amazing people that simply had a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's SWE changehappen.co.uk You can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf and let's get going. Today is episode 93 with the title Engineering Inclusive Excellence and I have the absolute honour and privilege to welcome Claire Anglis. Claire is a leader of learning for a large engineering organization and is also the owner of her own inclusive coaching business. When I asked Claire to describe her superpower, she said she is honest and delivers clear talk backed up with action. Wow. Hey, Claire, welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. So nice of you to invite me to talk today. Absolute pleasure. We've worked together in the past and, uh, it was an honour to invite you along and uh, even more of an honour for you to accept. Thank you. So, Claire, Engineering Inclusive Excellence. Tell me why we chose that as a title. Well, Joe, as you know, um, I'm the Head of Learning for Talis in the UK and um, we've been looking at engineering excellence within our business and leadership for a long period of time now. And when I talk about engineering excellence, I'm really talking about a place where everyone feels valued and that they can contribute their best. So all of that heading for any engineering organisation in delivery for the customer, of course, but a place where people can achieve and thrive and feel that they belong, feel that they're trusted, feel that they can contribute and be their most authentic selves that they feel they want to be at work. It's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, I, we hear this <laughs> buzzword, bring your whole self to work. And I always say, yeah. well, that's easy to you, easy for you, because the, the yeah. further you are from the bell curve of normality, the harder it is to bring that whole self, isn't it? That's why I chose my words really carefully there, Joe, because I said that you choose to do. Because I think um, I, I had a conversation, and I'm trying to remember where it was. Oh, it was, it was a couple of years ago now at a learning conference I was at and I was listening to a speaker there who was talking about bringing your whole self to work and I was thinking the same as you that's really easy if your whole self is something that's well accepted or very you know I guess the norm of where you work and they were talking about um, a really senior leader in a large complex organization and saying that they'd been talking about how you were your most authentic self at work. And he had been sharing that he couldn't possibly be that. And the reason was that his extracurricular activity was one that maybe others wouldn't understand and wouldn't accept. And being a very senior leader, he decided that he wouldn't share that he his choice of extracurricular was to be naked in the woods with other people that like naturism and love to be outdoors naked in the woods so he made a decision not to share what his extracurricular kind of hobbies were outside of work and I guess that's where I share share my words 
really carefully it's of what you choose of what is comfortable and and I would have loved to get to a place Joe as you know where we could really be our most authentic selves but it's always about what you choose to share about you isn't mm. there will always be things about everybody we choose not to so I think that's important that as HR and learning leaders we're really understanding that you can't possibly be asking that of of everybody no and picking up on that particular example the naturism the this person's sort of as you say weekend community and hobby mm. or or their lifestyle whichever makes it makes them happy it's coming in on, to work on a monday morning or ha- having taken some time off <laughs> so what did you get up to and then immediately this person is having to cover mask hide what they've done sanitize their response and that's a huge cognitive load for people to have to sort of process it. You know, you say they choose to share that or not. By choosing not to share it, they choose yeah. to create a story and a myth, which is even harder sometimes to maintain. I think I think that's absolutely right. I, I guess what I see as our kind of role to play is to help people to be able to share the things that they feel they'd, lo- they'd like to and that they can mm. And balance with this is something that's really important to me and, and I don't want to mask this it's it causes me more distress if I do to actually I'm a senior financial controller in a large organization and this is what I choose to do at my weekends and actually the the outlying kind of balance in what would happen if I did choose that and actually it's private to me I don't really want to um I I guess that's where I'm coming from it's more you know if you choose not to share that because for you it's just not something you feel comfortable sharing then I'm okay with that but what I don't want is for people clearly to be not sharing things that then causes them pain not to share Mm. it yeah, I, I completely agree. And the pressure to out yourself on everything, if you like, mm. can't be there either. And you know, no. just because someone is, someone maybe is gay, bi, lesbian, it doesn't do need to bring that to work. If you're comfortable, so actually, it's none of your business who I'm, who I speak with, who I have relationships with. I don't feel the need. I'm not, I'm not hiding myself. I'm just choosing not to share that. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, yeah, and some folk. It's a big part of who they are and it's what they want to share. I mean, I guess it's like any of us, you know, there are things that I might choose to share. You know, when I was going through a divorce, did I choose to share that at work? Not with everybody, with the people that I felt needed to know to support me, but not with everybody. And that was testament when I changed my name from Mortimer to Anglis, back to my maiden name, the amount of people that congratulated me on getting married you know, there was far more awkward conversations <laughs> about congratulations on being married than there was probably that if I'd have had the conversation that I was um, that I was divorced. But I just that was no one else's business, and I didn't really need to. So you know, when yeah. people push for people to share everything, but it's a really inclusive space, and you can share whatever you want to share your truth. I think that is always with choice, and yeah. that should be made really clear that it's not an expectation that you do that. But if it's right for you, then you can. Yeah, and I, th- I think I think the key thing really is you should have an ultimate expectation that if you do decide to share something, people would go, "Wow, excellent, thank you, brilliant, thank you, thank you for trusting me." And that's the kind of the re- reaction. It's not sort of like, "Oh, OMG," or sort of "Run for the hills." It's kind of a, "Yeah, okay, a- actually, so and so down the corridor." 
has a similar lifestyle, have a chat with them and so there's a network built up and you suddenly feel fine that other people can share that as well. And I obviously went through the same thing. Hmm. I obviously went through the same thing seven or eight years ago where you you have to you end up building up this huge backstory about everything. And you know, whatever the whatever the old adage is, it's, it's always easier to tell the truth because you never have to remember what the lie was or, or what the fabrication was. And I, and I found myself going away for weekends and my social engagements, and people would say, well, "What did you do last night?" I said, "Well, oh, I went for Stag Weekend, which you know, at the time wasn't technically a lie. It wasn't technically a truth. It was kind of it was an easy way of saying I went away with a load of people to, to Blackpool for a bit of a Stag Weekend." The fact it was a, a lot of trans women having a, a weekend away, trying to explore themselves and, and have some time out, it, 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 you end up making the story up, and then then you finally do share something, and it becomes people then feel a bit lied to if you're not careful. You and well, you you've been deceiving me, you've been telling me this all this time. So yeah, it's, it's that really fine line between lying to people about what you're doing and, and choosing not to share, isn't it? And I found that was a real awkwardness where people said, "Oh, yeah. you've been lying." I guess yeah. we do that, though, Joe, don't we, to protect people somewhat as well, because the, people tend to want to help. So if you tell someone something, they then tend to feel like there's something they should do about it. And I think that goes back to your point, of, you know, how to react when someone shares something like that with you. Because if you'd have shared your truth, I wonder how many people would have wanted to help or support or talk about what you were going through that were totally unequipped to do so that would have been you know actually of hindrance at that moment in your life rather than help potentially but actually what how we respond to someone when they share their truth with us or are open about what who and what they choose to do I guess it's a case of us not feeling like we need to help support fix or do something with that person and just say thank you for sharing that is there Mm. any support like from me maybe is a good question rather than you know oh that sounds really interesting tell me more like you know how oh I really didn't know I'm so sorry Joe. you're going through all this you know because actually that wasn't how you were feeling so you mentioned a couple of things there so you mentioned that our human need to fix Mm. and the sympathy and the oh you're brave or yeah, you're so courageous. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's it's it can be quite. Everyone's obviously well-meaning, yeah. but they're not actually responding to you. They're responding about themselves, aren't they? It's all about them. Oh, you're yeah. so great means I couldn't do that. You're so yeah. you're you're courageous means oh wow that that scares me. And then this listening to fix, isn't it? It's sort of like, yeah. let me help you. Let me solve your problem. Because you're obviously not intelligent enough to fix your own problem. You need my suggestion to fix it yeah. for you. And I can say something yeah. and you're going to go, wow, Joe, so I couldn't have done that without you. How amazing. Yeah, I totally agree, Joe. Yeah. I was chatting to someone on a podcast this episode uh, last week, a guy called Greg, and it's coming out in a couple of weeks' time. And he was saying that when he was going through a really dark time and contemplated a suicide, at some point and when he was telling people about it he said it's really hard to find people who would just say thank you for sharing that do yeah. you want to talk about it more do you want to explore it rather than the natural reaction is what can i do to help or what can i do to fix it and actually just listening to me t- let me let me understand why i'm in this dark place give me space to speak is what, what it is and it's really hard to to not chip in with an answer on that. and i think that's that's the challenge 
Yeah. And I think that, that that kind of takes us as well. Sorry, Joe, that takes us to this kind of leadership piece as well, because yeah. that's about that connection being based upon, I guess, love rather than a need to lead or fix or nurture. And that's around that genuine kind of empathy, compassion, genuine care. And I'm not suggesting that someone that offers support isn't offering that care. But actually, when you really think about what someone else needs rather than what you need in that moment, quite often it is someone just wants to talk and share what's going on for them. Or they're just telling you because you asked a question, right? If someone says, what did you do at the weekend? And you said, well, as you said, Joe, I was with a group of friends and it was a group of trans women exploring and taking some time out together. I, I guess that's, you know, you, you wanted to share that. If you felt that with, with me, you could share that. And I think, okay, that's, that sounds like an interesting weekend. Did you have a good time? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was. But I think you, you're right. I, I wasn't comfortable enough in my own skin yeah. or w- where I was heading in my life. So that that private weekend wasn't necessarily something that, was worth sharing at that point because yeah. I didn't I didn't know what it meant I had, I had no context I couldn't if someone if someone asked me a question about it I I couldn't answer any question about it it was just just was so you're right I I I wasn't hiding myself specifically it was just nothing I wanted to share yeah. so you, you mentioned earlier the, the the concept of allowing people to thrive and and belong and I, I'm a, I'm a great believer in those two words that, yeah firstly firstly thrive. I, I should succeed or fail based on my own merits and the environment around me allows me to succeed or fail on my own merits or has gives me gives me a comfort blanket and security to be able to work around that. So the work you do in your organization at the moment, you're, you're you really are focused on creating those environments, aren't you? Yeah, we really are. Um I think things started we we've we've always been really passionate about inclusion and I think the beginning like most organizations we probably were talking about diversity at that point you know if we rewind years back and we were definitely talking about having diverse communities rather than inclusion and I know that we've spoken before about this Joe but I think one of the things that really hit a lot of organizations potentially through through the lockdown was the whole EDI kind of topic and and became very commercial there were lots of people popping up all over the place that claimed to be edni experts and lots of folk that have some lived experiences that wanted to be involved in the conversations with corporates and i think um at Tanis we were really curious about well what does that really look like for us and why would we be doing this and one of the things that um i became quite curious about was figuring out how you talk about EDNI in a business context so how do you talk about the real kind of sensitive topics rather than just the real obvious ones so we have measurements against gender and there are some complexities in our organization um, because we're a global organisation, as to data that we can we can kind of select and 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 um, collect, Joe. But ultimately, we we had some gender targets. But beyond that, there there was little else. And I know that across the UK business, we're really passionate 
about the topic of inclusion being beyond gender. So we started to think about, well, what does that mean? And, and I think one of the things that a lot of organisations are struggling with is to create a business conversation around EDI, not a conversation around it would be really great if we had diverse communities because, yeah, that would be really great. But folk struggle to put then measurements around that and what's ethically right to measure. How would we measure? Then would we need everyone to disclose? Would we need to have the conversations, Joe, that you and I have just been talking about? Would we need everyone to share? Would they feel safe in doing that? What comes first? Do we create a safe environment for everyone to share and then we need disclosure and then we can do this and that stops people having the right conversation? So I definitely think the maturity at Talis has been around how we talk in our organisation around the importance of ED&I and why it's important to us as a business, not just as an HR topic or as a diversity topic. So, yeah, we've been really passionate and been gaining a lot of momentum over the last couple of years, actually, as an example, in bringing in people like yourself, Joe, to talk to our leadership community to help them to relate and understand to what inclusion really looks and feels like from a leadership perspective. I, I'm listening to what you're saying there about the, the focus maybe over the last two years around the COVID period, if you like, mm. a lot of people talking around diversity. And I think, I suppose, it started off, you know, the, the Equality Act, the Racial Relations Act, the Disability Discrimination yeah. Act, it was all focused on characteristics, all focused on providing support, workplace adjustments, a pay gap analysis, as you say, focus on gender, focus on race focus on disability with a bit of lgbtq plus thrown in the background and we're all focusing on single strand initiatives and how to employ more women or how to increase our ethnic diversity or whatever it may be without actually putting the structures in place around the, the belongingness the welcomingness the culture and I, I always get frustrated when i'm talking to people about their hiring needs oh we want to hire more diverse people. I say, well, okay, define what you mean by more diverse people. Do you mean people not like you? What do you mean by more diverse? So do you mean more women, more black people, more women of colour, more queer women, more lesbian women? What, what do you mean by that? So no, just, just wider. Okay. okay. Unless you could be specific about what you're trying to achieve, just by saying we want to hire more diverse people doesn't mean anything. It's not, it's not a quantifiable it's a broader cohort or broader diversity of, of people in the funnel. But what do you mean? What's your objective? And I, and I, I agree with what you're saying there about the business benefit or the business objective without overshadowing the people element. It's kind of got a hand in hand, isn't it? But very often people don't have a, a trajectory. I, I talk about trajectory rather than a target or a quota. It's a statement of intent, statement of direction. A bit like the World Economic Forum talking about 70 or 80 years for gender equity in, in the Western world. What are the steps to get there? Because we're mm. not achieving them. So it's, it's more about the steps to get somewhere than it is around the actual target, as long as we're showing those steps are incremental and making a difference. And I also think, that Joe, that businesses are waiting for it to be perfect before they take action. So they're tentatively saying we want it to be a diverse business, but we're really worried about exposing themselves to not be perfect so we're not perfect at palace we know that um 
can we do more to make our culture more inclusive? Absolutely, of course we can. And we will continue to do so. Do we have a diverse group of talent in our business right now? We do, but not where we would like it to be. And when you say, well, where is that? Well, that's a place where, you know, I sit around a board table and I, I see and feel difference in the room and there's a collective intelligence of difference and that therefore means I'm not talking about gender or race and ethnicity it's it's a lot more than that it's about neurodivergence it's about all of those topics and and differences and therefore I think you can't really have a strategy that's one-dimensional so you can't say okay this year we're going to be focused on ethnicity or this year we're going to be focused on this you know fatalis veterans is a really really important pool of people that we want to be included in our in our workforce so there's various different various different pools of people that we want to be attractive to and I think it's that intersectionality and understanding where all of the crossovers lie and that's if we can create a safe trusting so psychologically safe environment for people to work in, then if we talk about that, if we share outside of the organisation and inside of the organisation what we're doing to get to that place, then we will naturally start to attract talent from all different organisations that are not doing that, that are not being overtly uh, explicit in, in what they're doing. So we've recently launched a number of new policies that support people in our environment to leaders to have the right conversations and employees to have the right conversations. And we've won awards for those. And, and we're really proud of that because does a, a policy change a culture? No, of course not. But it does mean for somebody in the business that might be, let's say, transitioning, that they can find that policy and say, what, what are my rights here? What should I expect this to feel like at work? And I know that's a topic, you know, that that you and, and your wife have spoken at Talis about. And that's really helped us to to scope out what our thoughts are as a business and how we support people, because that's really important as leaders and as a business, we understand how we should do that right. So you need the policies, but you also need to then talk about that and and say, we have these new policies and this is what we expect of our leaders when someone in their team is talking to them about transitioning, here you go, this is what we expect from you. And we're really clear that we measure that and we look at it from both sides, the experience of the employee and the experience of the leader. And I think, Joe, that does help for people to understand what the culture should feel like and whether or not it would be a safe place to have that level of open conversation and disclosure that they might need to have. Do you think people generally get it and I, well, let me explain what i mean by that so to understand why it matters or some of the, all the things we talk about edi hr positive experiences do you think people truly get the why or are they just maybe latching on to wokeism and politically correctness and we can't say anything these days the, the average lay person is going this is just too complicated today yeah, I think I, I think that's a really good point. I don't think they do get it. So in in the communities that I that I kind of am part of, like so learning communities, HR communities, I would say that probably about seventy percent 
of people still don't get it. And I think in a business, it's even less. So I'm really clear when I'm talking about ED&I that what I'm talking about is this collective intelligence notion. So that we've got, let's take a problem. Let's take an example in a business. So you've got a problem, you're trying to solve a problem. Who would you best select to be around the table to solve the problem? Now, of course, if it's a technical issue, you've got the, the technical dimension of the people that will have the knowledge of that technical capability. But other than that, you know, the same people from the same backgrounds with the same lived experiences, with the same tenure of service, with the same sexuality, with all of those characteristics are the same. Are they going to come up with different solutions? Probably not. But then if we start to think, okay, well, let's think about who else we might invite into this. Maybe we bring a graduate in or an apprentice that's not been in the organization for a long period of time. So therefore, they don't know what the rules are. There's some real benefit in being a novice. So let's bring them into the conversation. Let's bring Joe in, who might have a completely different lived experience to us, who might be used to thinking differently and might be used to having to navigate change and complexity and and um, and difficulty in an organisation, she might have a completely different view on this. So if you start to think about who you've got around your table for problem solving, if they all look, feel and smell the same, you're quite likely to get a very similar answer to your problem. But if it's, if it's a different set of folk, then actually, who knows how you might end up solving that problem. And that takes you then to innovation, right? So that the importance of innovation in business is huge. So why would you choose to have people that, that are all the same in your organization? So when you kind of explain it like that to people, most people then go, oh, yeah, that makes real sense. So we're not doing this because we want X amount of females in our business or we want x amount of veterans or we want to include trans people in our in organization what we're saying is we want better problem solving and innovation i get it now of course why would we not want people that think differently so they're neurodivergent people that have had different lived experiences and i think that helps people to understand why edi is so important inclusion is so important in organizations and, and businesses but I don't think they get it yet, Joe. <laughs> no. And do, do people actually, you know, we use the word get, do they get it, that how difficult it is sometimes to be a person of uniqueness, whatever that may mean to that person, walking into a, a room of difference or the norm, if you like. So being the first black woman in senior leadership, being the first openly gay man in a in a role or something mm. you know we you know just looking at tv culture we look at what goes on strictly come dancing and the, the pushback around same-sex couples and the different present presentations and we see this in all over the place where somebody has to break the ground somebody has to walk that path first and that's not for everybody not everybody is a groundbreaker or, or a path for clearer so that's a real challenge where you, you, you are in a monoculture, for want of a better way of describing it, or a limited culture to try and expand that culture and allow people to bring their whole self to work or have psychological safety in that environment it, without people being tokenized. It's, it's a real challenge to grow that demographic, isn't it? It really is. And that's why 
I, I truly believe it's not up to those communities to make the difference. So is it up to, uh, I've, I've been growing our internal uh, TALIS black female leaders for a number of years. And is it up to them to drive the agenda for black women in our organisation? No, it's not up to them. It's up to everybody. And that's why leadership and leadership development is so integral for businesses in this space because it's the, the space that the leaders create in the organisation for people to feel they can belong. So it's not up to a, a new female black leader to walk into a room and change the demographic in that room and change the way that they're seen. It's up to the people in the room to do that. They have a part to play, of course they do, but it's it's up to all of us. So I, I and to go back to your initial question, do I think that people understand that? No, not wholly. We've definitely been having that conversation. And as part of the leadership programs at TALIS, we have uh, collective intelligence as, as modules within the, the leadership development. And we also run events, live events, Joe, like you were part of for TALIS, where we talk about that. And, and we openly talk about the challenges with leaders and how we expect people to lead in our organisation. And, and I think it's up to organisations to get firmer on that and measure it and make sure that the leaders are creating that space and, and making that making that change but it's certainly not up to the individuals solely to be groundbreakers I wouldn't be expecting somebody to do that I think there's a fatigue in that that is an interesting kind of discussion Joe which is you know, how often can you walk in a room and have that conversation and how often should you have to without then me being the person that raises you know that as a topic rather than you even if you're in the room mm. i mean i, I i'm involved with, a, with an organization and we have a low representation of people of color across mm. our across our organization and that inevitably means we have a a lack of just to put it in business context a lack of talent pipeline so we don't have the the level of people coming through with their professional skills we don't have the level of people coming through who want to take on leadership or influencer roles or people who want to come and win awards or be seen on speaking about certain topics. So when you look at it through the optics of, 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 of race or, or, or colour, then you look at it as a very white, heavy organisation. Gender balance is pretty good, but it's, it's very white. And that the problem I'm facing is how do we create a an organisation where people do want to join or they're put off at the very early stages by looking at going, oh, this is a very white organisation full of old people. It's not for me. So it's, it's how, how do we create that? How do we break that first ground and get a, a footing or a, an advanced party of people who go, actually, we believe you that you want to make change. We believe you're not trying to tokenize us. You believe we believe you're trying to give us chance. So you need a very, I would say, a, a, a type of person who's willing to to be that groundbreaker, provide their support, and that's that's the real challenge I'm facing. And I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that in your own organisation. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's I think it is a challenge, but I think it's one that requires follow through, Joe. So 
I think it's great to have the attraction campaigns and and reaching out to different um different groups so in in your example to to groups of people of color but then you've got to demonstrate that actually when they join the organization that's not it so then you need the right level of development programs you need to show that you do talent reviews that are you know very specifically focused on color maybe or ethnicity then you need to demonstrate that you have the right part level of partnerships and that you are you know there are people within the senior leadership team that are willing to to sponsor and and to grow the talent within that that kind of pipeline so I don't think it's a one hit wonder and I don't think the other the other part of it is nobody would want to be the spokesperson for an organization where they felt that that was the case and that there were targets placed upon that you know, let's talk about it from a, from a female perspective I don't want to work in an organization that says well you know we wanted 30 percent of our senior leaders to be women so therefore we're going to promote Claire because we we need another woman and she seems to be the right person from the talent review we've done so I get the job not through merit but because I was a woman and then if we were to look and say well if there are no development programs then for me to go on so once I hit I get that role you don't really want me there because you're not supporting me to grow and develop but you want me to do all of your campaigns on LinkedIn and you want me to do so if you have an organization where someone feels like that, why the hell would they want to stay and why would they want to join? So the first thing they're going to do is look for other people in the organization that either look like them or that are from other marginalized groups so that they can see what the business really is doing. So I don't ask our female black leaders to have their photographs taken all together and do big ad campaigns for attraction. Why don't I? Because they would be the same group of women that have their pictures taken for everything else because we don't have a swell of women that can do that. It would be inauthentic and it would be the wrong thing to do. Do we want to grow our talent from that point? Absolutely. We're really passionate, but we want to do that because people want to join. They feel that they'll be promoted and... and um, supported and developed so I've worked on looking at all of the right talent reviews with my talent colleagues and we've looked at the right selection process to make them accessible we've looked at our early careers programs to make sure that we've got young black talent coming through our early careers programs we looked at executive development so that people can see when you get to a certain level do we want you to progress absolutely as a business we've also spoken about on our gender pay gap release, we also released our ethnicity pay gap. We don't have to report on that, but we want it to be really clear that this is an area we're really passionate about and we can measure it. So we have, and we've shared that. And we shared that ahead of having to, because it's really important to us that we attract ethnic talent. So it's, I think it's just really important, Joe, that it's not looked at as an, an attraction campaign. It's looked at as a holistic business opportunity rather than you know we, we need to attract more black talent into our pipeline so therefore we need to recruit from a certain pool or get a recruit certain recruiter to help us and give them some targets it's so much more complex and and if we talk to people that are joining our organizations they are looking at all of those things they're not looking at will I get the right level and will I get the right pay they're looking at will you develop me are there other other people that you can demonstrate you do that with 
you know, what else is there and available? Who are the people that interview me? What did they look like? Were they like me? Did they talk about your um, psychological safety or did they talk about your eth ethnicity challenges in the business? And if you, I raised it, did they talk, want to talk about it when I raised it? So I think that's the other thing is to be really prepared that, you know, if you're going to interview um, a, a, a black woman to join your organization, she may well ask you what you're going to do to help and support her and what you're doing for others and be expectant of that because, you know, these chat people want to be champions and, and these, these are the days where people can ask those questions in interviews. So I think we have to be really prepared that we can tell a great story of what inclusion really feels like for a candidate if you're interviewing. I've ranted loads there, Joe, but I hope you can feel oh, <laughs> really to know about that. No, I, I completely concur. I, I, I do. And I, I picked up on a word you said quite early on in that was the word merit. It's this whole perceived, I'm going to, I'm going to use the BS word, the BS word of meritocracy sometimes, where it's perceived to be a meritocratic process, but often it's it's not always. And I'm sure as an organisation such as yourself, you must have been working on when you talk about these, the talent development and the talent identification sort of process you do. You are focusing on, on merit in there, but many organisations who defines who's the best person for the job, often the incumbent or the the person who's running the team that they've always run. It's not often done sort of through a peer review or wider review. And then merit, if you like, is subjective. And that's the danger of sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that bias creeps in, doesn't it? It's um I think this is where having a really good, robust talent process helps organizations to ensure that the right person is selected for the role. And, you know, do we always get it right? I'm, I'm sure we don't. I, w I wouldn't ever profess to be perfect at this, but it's, I do think if you have, as we've been saying, a, a collectively different group of people running those talent reviews, you get different diverse thoughts on, on the individuals that you're talking about. So if it's run by senior leaders that might have limited access to those people on a daily weekly basis then you're likely to only get what the person has chosen or the person who leads that person has chosen to share about them if you've then got maybe a customer or if you've got someone that you know get regularly has interaction with that person that can, brings another view I remember being in talent reviews not at Talis I would say but with other organizations where people will say well, you know, I haven't really heard much from them this year. They haven't really been doing anything extracurricular. They've been, you know, quite quiet. I would expect them to have been running this, this and this. And you think, well, hold a minute. They've been on a major programme and been deploying resources all over the place or been leading pro projects that might not have been on the agenda of the senior leaders or, you know, kind of on their radar, but they've been actually delivering for our customers really really well and that might not have been seen but it's definitely happened so having the voice of the customer as well in, in things like your talent reviews is, is really important yeah, you, you mentioned that you know, the organization has a a 30 percent target etc cetera, etc cetera, and you find yourself sucked into that target and, and positioned because you're a woman to, to hit that 30 percent target is, is there 
some of it's got to be psychological from your perspective. I'm not just using you as a hypothetical you, not necessarily mm-hmm. you specifically, where you feel that you are part of the target, where is there an imposter syndrome there that you don't believe you have the merit to succeed without the target? Is, is there a kind of a chicken and egg there? Yeah, first of all, that was an example. So there are no 30% yeah, yeah, no. targets. So, um, so, yeah, I in my coaching business, I talk to, to actually quite a lot of women that I talk to will feel like others believe that they are in a role because of their gender. And from an ethnicity perspective, definitely, and actually a disability perspective, when I've been coaching people with disability as well, they have all spoken about feeling a little bit of that imposter syndrome. So, you know, maybe I wasn't the best person, but I happened to be the person that looks like me or that, you know, that is has a disability. So that's probably the reason why I'm I'm here. And that's really tough on people and it really lays heavy. And I think we need to be really cognizant of that when we are talking to people about promotion and inclusion in our business but also not and not only for them but for everybody around them because there is also clearly a message to others that might be part of a norm group so you know in in industry and in engineering that might be kind of middle-aged white male there is a a message isn't there if we're talking lots around inclusion there's a message that by inclusion we mean you know women we mean black people we mean transgender we mean neurodivergent we don't mean you and when I talk about inclusion I am talking about everybody so when we talk about inclusion we shouldn't what we should remember is that the messages need to be heard by everybody that we want you all included we're not excluding for the for the need of inclusion. So, yes, I think that weight lays heavy, but it also weighs heavy on others. So when someone gets a promotion and others tell a story to themselves, well, that promotion was given to that person because she's a woman, that can be really hard for that person because if that's truly what they feel at the time, they also have to work through that. Why do I feel that? Who gave me those messages? What's the story I've told myself? How am I now going to report to that person as a white male when I believe the only reason they were promoted was that they're a female when I went for the job and I didn't get it, but she got it because she's a woman. So there's also the whole fallout of inclusion that people that don't feel that inclusion is part of what the business are doing for them as well. So does that play into the the myth, if you want, or the misconception that hiring for diversity is hiring for second best, because you must be second best because you're a diverse candidate, whatever that may mean. Is that is that is that is that a yeah. pervasive thinking maybe amongst the majority? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's amongst the majority, but certainly people that I coach that talk about imposter syndrome, I definitely think they all would say there was probably a better candidate. That doesn't actually end up being true, by the way. So when you get to the like the real crux of the challenge, it, it really isn't about the fact that there was someone better. And I absolutely know in any organization I have worked with, in, in definitely in Tally and in any other organization I speak to leaders in, nobody, nobody is making decisions 
based upon gender, ethnicity, sexuality. No one's saying we need that candidate because they, everyone is, is hiring on merit. Everyone's hiring the best person for the job. Mm. Do they want to see a diverse pool of people? Absolutely. Will they go out of their way to find them, put targets on recruiters, all of those things? Yeah, and, and they should, because without that, sometimes you don't get to see everybody. Are they hiring the best person for the job? Always. As far as I have seen, I don't think I have met anyone that has openly said to me, oh, yeah, we gave it to that person because they're black, or we gave it to that person. Do I think it goes on? Maybe, but not in the organisations that I have worked with or spoken to. Has anybody ever said, well, we're absolutely not going to give it to anybody that's male because this person needs to be a female. I think there are times where you might want to make that decision because you want the diversity on a board, for example. So you might want to deliberately say we are wanting to attract a female into this role because we know that we're, we're missing that. And I think that's okay to do that if, that if the person has the qualifications to do the job, but not if they don't. So positive action versus positive discrimination. Yeah. So we're saying yeah, totally. legitimate means. But again, does that? I'm going to come back to the meritocracy thing. And, and if we're if we're setting out the the role profile, the job description, the, the success criteria in a certain way, then only someone who's done this role for ten years in a similar yeah. sort of company with a similar sort of team and a similar sort of product range could ever succeed. And typically, that person isn't black or isn't a woman therefore the the, the talent pipeline of the candidate pool is narrowing itself down because the the requirement spec is so Mm -hmm. defined so how do we how do we hire for capability and growth rather than just hire for done it before Mm. um well we've just done something similar actually um a colleague of mine kirsten has been running a program called code first girls and we've been partnering with code first girls which are have given us some amazing talent and that's around looking for people that are looking to reskill to come into engineering not necessarily been engineers so the background joe is that they might not necessarily have ever been in engineering but we're going to take them on and train them to be engineers in software so if we'd have written a job spec as we would do for that role you would expect a level of understanding so this is really about the organization saying at what point and where in our in our business does experience or qualification not necessarily matter where we can train people ourselves to have the skills and capability that they're going to need to deliver for us and i think that's what starts to make businesses different and accessible so by bringing in that um that cohort what we're saying is we're really open to talk to people that might not have the right background. And there are some roles where you can do that. And there are also some roles where you know that talent really exists. So, you know, 50% of the roles at Talis last year were non-engineering roles. So whatever story Talis would have told themselves about the, the talent pool as far as, as far as diversity was concerned about engineering it's only 50% true. So we know that. And we say, okay, so in that poll, we'll, we accept that it's going to be more of a challenge to get the diversity that we're looking for. So therefore, we might need to be more specific. But in this 50% of the roles, 
that's not true. So what are we going to do in those roles to make them more accessible? So I think there are some roles, Joe, you can really do that in and you can remove the barriers. You need a really great talent acquisition team. You need people in the organisation to be challenging. And it's really hard for specialists in their discipline. So, for example, a safety engineer to accept that somebody might not need X amount of years experience if that's what they've been used to. And you need people to be able to ask the right questions and challenge people in the organisation to say, why? Why is that so? And what background might they, might they come from? If they weren't from a, a, a defence background, for example, what, what other background would be okay? And slowly you start to see change. No, nothing, none of this happens overnight. I think, you know, yeah. you, you've probably seen that. And slowly, slowly start to see people say, oh, that really worked well. That worked well. We, we worked with um, the Prince's Trust a good, a good number of years ago now. It must have been about six years ago to bring in young people that were not in education or employment. And the reaction in the business at the time was really mixed. You know, lots of people were super excited and some were really worried. You know, how, what sort of person would I get in my team? Am I the right kind of leader? Would I be able to offer the right level of support? Um, all of them were, were well meant, well, you know, positioned, like we spoke about very first on, wanting to help and support people. The reality, of course, of the people that joined us were that they were really capable, great people, and a lot of them are still in our organisation. And they've been promoted and they've mobilised and they're recognised as talent. So I think it's a long, long-winded answer, Joe, but I think um, there's there's loads you can do to break that yeah. down. I think the first thing you need is to start asking yourself the questions, why? Why is that important? Yeah. Obviously, the same with people who have been in the care system all their lives and had an extremely yeah. unsupported background, people who've left the criminal justice system for whatever mm. reason. There's an instant stigma and employers are very reluctant to give people a chance. You know, they, oh, what if they're risky and, well, what if they're not? You know, it's kind of, it's, uh, yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a default. And I think, as you say, it's about getting the hiring teams to start cutting through the myths, misconceptions, the biases, the the beliefs they have, uh, and then start looking into the humanity of the person and say, okay, what's this person's capability? What the, what are their core values? Okay, they've had a tough life and they may have done things they're not proud of when they look back on it, but they actually that was a, they were they were I hate to say victim of circumstances. That's not the right word. They were they were they, they, they were evolved in the circumstantial upbringing which led them down a path, and that can happen to anybody. So it's looking at that person's real core drivers and, and steering them away from that life and saying, actually, if you give someone a different opportunity, they, they make different choices. Absolutely. I would add, though, Joe, it's not just the recruiting part of your organisation. It's absolutely everyone. So if you're an assessor on an early careers programme, if you're an assessor in an interview, even if you're not part of the talent acquisition team, it's everybody's role to say, Actually, I think that this person has more to offer. I think interviewers forget quite quickly that the skill is also part of the interviewer to get the right answers from the interviewee. 
So if you're feeling like that person's not got the experience, if you feel like that person's not being able to give you the right examples to your competency-based questions, it's part of your role as the interviewer to try and help them to do so as well uh, so they can be their best. But it is also, you know, if I'm sat having a coffee with a colleague and they're talking about a role that they're recruiting for as a leader in our business and they turn around and say, well, I'm just not getting the right level of experience, I will also challenge and say, well, what is the right level of experience? And why is that? And what else could it be? And where else could you look? And who else could you ask? And what if they had only 60% and you needed to develop the, the rest? How would you do that? And it's my job to do that, not as a head of learning, but as a colleague and a peer to my friends and, and colleagues at work. It's not just the role of the talent acquisition team. Of every single person in the business, we should all be asking those questions of each other and saying, who else did you see? Yeah, it's, it's being open to be challenging people as to why people weren't selected as opposed to just challenging people with people who were selected. It's, it's, it's asking people why. So what, what didn't you see in them? Yeah. What, what was the rejection criteria? And I think we often, we're, we're busy people. We've got huge, great shortlists and long lists to go through and, we tend to give people not enough time to see into the heart of them. And I think what we often do is, is look superficially. And as, sometimes, you know, we've we got the best person for the job. Great, we've moved on. But what about our corporate responsibility, social responsibility to get people back into employment, to help looking at the the environment out there and, the, and, the, and our cultures and our society out there and being a great employer for everybody, not just a great employer for the the, 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 the typical incumbent, if you like. And that's, that's a big challenge. And that goes all the way back to that first part of our conversation around it being a psychologically safe place for people to be able to speak the truth. And if we're able to do that and we're okay with who we are and we can be all right with how someone else is and kind of lead from that place of love, then you can you can openly yeah. share how you feel about something and say, I appreciate you may have already selected the person. Did you see anyone of colour on your list or... Have you spoken to Jo? I know she was really interested in that role. Is there a reason you might not have spoken to her about it? And doing so from a place of, of love and care rather than critique and, and, you know, I think that's, I think having places, it sounds very idealistic, but having a, an environment where people feel more able to have that level of conversation is where I think heads of learning, HR, strategists that's the kind of focus for for us it's helping the organization to get to that space because then imagine a place where people could speak their truth when things weren't going to plan on a project and someone could actually fess up and say this this isn't quite going to plan boss you know rather than hiding it and worrying about it and trying to fix it in silos we would be able to talk more openly and certainly at Talis, that's something we've been really focused on over the last couple of years, really trying to help people to be able to talk more openly. And everything we're doing is to get us to a place where that is more possible for everybody. I think by doing that, you create, in your, in your talent attraction, recruitment marketing, your employer value proposition, your employer branding, all the stuff you're putting out there, you start to create an authentic truth about you are a place that is welcoming psychologically safe because we know that people from marginalized minority backgrounds underrepresented backgrounds voiceless backgrounds 
tend to have a high level of imposter syndrome or limiting belief. I can I was I can never work for there. They'd never accept a person like me. So you've got to tell these stories that breaks down that apprehension about the initial stepping into the funnel, if you like. Absolutely. And that's why we've been at, you know, all different events as well, trying to trying to make sure that we're reaching out to lots of different communities. So it's a genuine, we genuinely want to see you rather than this is a campaign that we're doing to to widen our diverse pool. So you're you're right, it's about storytelling. It's about our, us telling our stories and our employees telling our stories and, and making sure that people really understand what motivation is. And being truthful, Joe, that we don't have it 100% right. And I know that, you know, if there are people at Talis listening to this podcast, which I hope they do, there'll be critique. There'll, people will say, well, it's not like, like that all the time and it's there are pockets of of places where it isn't like that maybe at all in for some individuals but the intention and the clear target is to get to a place where we are able to do that and all of the intention is good to get us to that space yeah it's about finding that north star painting the picture creating an aspirational journey of what fantastic looks like and then trying to inspire people to join you on that journey in a yeah. time scale and a velocity that works for everybody, really, isn't it? Absolutely. And that, that's where then you hope that, you know, your internal colleagues are, are listening to that and saying, great, I want to be part of this place. I want to stay. I want to grow. I want to bring others in. And then you hope that the talent that's looking around thinking, you know, I'm looking for a, a new opportunity, start noticing you more and 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 wanting to join your business and the talent that, by the way, are working for your competitors that maybe feel that their business isn't being quite so transparent, that their business isn't talking about topics and being honest about where they are and what they want to do and where they want to get to, say, well, why isn't my business doing that? I'm either going to go and have a conversation with them and say, hang on a minute, this business over here are doing it, why aren't you? And we get a lot of that. We were at the UK Black Business Show this year, and there were a lot of a lot of people that came to our stand to talk to us that were surprised, first of all, to see Talis there, delighted to see Talis there, and then saying, well, my my employer's not here, and you are. I, I don't understand that. I need to talk to them about why they're not here. And it, that wasn't, you know, a gimmick for us. That was a genuine reach out yeah. for talent. We genuinely want talent. And and actually, if we can, what we can do in that process is also help individuals go back to their businesses and ask those questions and maybe their businesses also start going to these events also start reaching out for talent what we do is create a swell so you know I I think it's really I think it's really important that it's not just for our own businesses we're doing this it's it's for the the economy in the UK it's for all of the social impact that you spoke about Joe and it's about our society being able to realize its full potential so it's not just about yeah. it's not all about talent and i think we have to recognize that communities talk to each other you know if you talk about the veterans community <laughs> there's a strong yeah. veterans community they will talk to each other and go well oh, i got a job at talus it's an absolutely amazing place you just see that their mm. talent pipeline the development prospects their their stats especially if you're a young black woman exiting the royal navy as a mm. as an engineer on a ship or something you're going to go wow i've got i've got yeah. I found a belongingness here and mm-hmm. that's the story you want to paint, isn't it? That that, that the belongingness is, is, for me, one of the measures is 
you want to evangelize about your role to other people and, and, and share the love and bring other people. Why wouldn't you want to recommend the organization if you love it so much, if you want to keep it a secret? So I think that's the magic source we want to try and find, isn't it? Oh, to Claire, I, I totally, totally believe so. Yeah. It's been a fantastic conversation. We, uh, yeah, we, we chatted for about half, half the course of that before we went live and I'm sure we could keep chatting forever. And I'm sure we will catch up again soon, have a chat. So, how do people get hold of you and uh, how can you help others in the industry? Um, well, I'm just really, I'm really happy to receive any LinkedIn messages from anyone that's interested in um, in talking about this topic further. Or if you want to link in with me to think, talk about what Talis are doing, if you're a Talis employee and want to link in, that's great. Um, if you're not, um, equally happy for anyone to get in touch and, and talk more on this topic. So search you on LinkedIn, Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E. Anglis, A-N-G-L-I-S-S. So just search you on LinkedIn. Right. Is that okay? Brilliant. brilliant. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. For getting to the end, I really appreciate your time and your attention. Please do subscribe if you're not already subscribed to future episodes of the Inclusion Bytes podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Please tell your colleagues, your friends. Please share the links. I have a number of exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you'd be equally inspired by over the next few weeks and months. And of course, if you'd like to be a guest yourself, please drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchainchapman.co.uk. If you've got any other suggestions on how we can improve, that'll also be welcome. So finally, my name is Joanne Lockwood, and it's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Take care. Catch you next time. Bye.